0: conducive for napping. And so if you kind of fade out on me, I kind of understand. That's kind of what I'd like to do right now. No, 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 really not. First Peter chapter 1. Peter in these verses we'll be looking at today continues this theme of living beyond our reality. If you have one of the outlines uh, there in your passport, look at the introduction. Living for eternity, understanding our salvation and what it guarantees, allows us to live beyond the emptiness and trials of our current reality. I don't know about you, but I think there are times in my life, I look back over my life, and I definitely see some pockets of what I would call empty times in my life. Uh, how many of you ever been there, if you know what I'm talking about? It just seems like there's, you know, what's the point in all this, trying to figure it all out, and you know, it's uh, routine and everything, but there seems to be some emptiness associated with this life. And then there's those things we call trials that we introduced that thought process last week of what trials do and what that's all about. And and Peter's definitely talking about people who are in the midst of trials, and I'm sure many of you are today, but how do you live with eternity in mind? How do you live beyond the reality of the suffering, the the trials, the tribulations, uh, the persecutions that we live today? So look on your outline. Living beyond the emptiness and trials of our present reality means living a life of hope, living a life of hope. Now, hope is not simply a wish for the future, as the word is most often used in the English language. Uh, Hope that's used in the English language, the way we communicate hope, is something like this. Well, uh, I sure hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Now, there's a lot of uncertainty when you use the word hope in that phrase, I mean, even if the weatherman says it's not going to rain, what could it do? It could rain. And so the way we use hope in the modern English language is we we look at it from the point of view of wishful thinking. Rather, hope, as used in the New Testament, involves the idea of assurance. that That what is hoped for will certainly come to pass. Now, this is because future hope in the New Testament is based on something that has already happened in the past. And of course, we're referring to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All our hope in the promises of God, listen, are guaranteed by the resurrection from the dead that Jesus did. So he was resurrected from the dead. Now look at 1 Peter chapter one, look at verse three. It says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercies or mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. How did it come about? through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, that's where our hope resides. Now, this is a picture of hope that is not half-hearted. It says a hope that is full, a hope that is completed. Now, so when we look at hope from this end, we're not wishful thinking. We're looking at something that is assured of. And so when we look at it, it's not half-hearted commitment. Think about the song we just sang. All that I I am, I'm yours. That's a reference to that whole idea. And and so it's all based on those promises. Now look at the commentator, William Barclay. He, He wrote this once. He says, the Christian hope is the hope which has seen everything and endured everything and has still not despair because it believes in God. The Christian hope is not hope in the human spirit, In human goodness, in human endurance, nor in human achievement, Christian hope is hope in the power of God. And the power of God was greatly demonstrated. There's probably no other way it was demonstrated even more than Jesus being raised from the dead. Now, how do we look beyond our troubled realities and look to hope? Well, look on your outline. First of all, it involves a new focus, a new outlook. The whole idea of a new perspective. So hold your place here in 1 Peter and turn to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four. As you're turning there, listen to this. Focus always determines direction. What you're focused on will be the direction that your thoughts will carry you, your actions will carry you. Now, let me give you an example, and I've used this recently. How many of you have noticed when you're driving a car that the thing that you look at As you're looking at it, you tend to pull towards that thing that you're focused on. How many of you notice that when you drive your car? So if you see something coming down uh, the lane there and and, and you look at it long enough, guess what you'll do? You'll you'll, you'll be pulled towards it. The same is true when it comes to our thoughts. The same is true when it comes to our perspectives. So, So look on your outline. A new focus By way of thoughts. It's that whole idea of being resolute. So look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Now think about that. Get your mind around that. Some of you are going through some very, very difficult times. I I mean, really. Some of you may have had some tough news as it pertains to your health. Some of you may be in a relationship that's just breaking your heart. Some of you, I have no doubt that many of us are in what we would call trials. And then we have this whole idea of being anxious for it. Don't worry about anything. Don't don't worry about it. But in everything, look at it. Here's what we're doing. We're changing the perspective. We're taking the attention off of what we're anxious about and focusing it on God. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Take on, this is saying, take on a different perspective. Make your focus on God. Look to him, not the trial, not not the uncertainty of what you're dealing with, not your fears. Look to him. And then it goes on in verse 7, and it says, When you do that, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that means when everybody else looks at your situation and says, how in the world can you live through something like that, it supersedes our understanding that when you do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ or through Christ Jesus. Keep reading. Finally, brother, if you're not there yet, if you haven't got your focus right yet, put some of these things in practice. Finally, brother, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report. If there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, what are you to do? Meditate on these things. Focus on these things. Now, how many of you, don't raise your hand, find it easy to focus on the negativity? You find it easy to focus on those things that you fear. You find it easy to focus on those things that aren't good. I mean, let's just face it. A lot of gossip is because we like to focus on things that aren't really that good. What this implies is that we literally have to focus, our, we have to take on a different outlook, a different perspective when it comes to living beyond these realities, to rise up above our circumstances or trials or persecutions, whatever we face. We have to literally focus on the things that are of good report, anything that's virtuous. So turn back here to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I want you to look at verse 13. This is how Peter writes it. This is how he looks at it. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, when you read that phrase, we read it and we think, what in the world is he talking about? But if you go back to the first century, you'll see that there was a cultural application here or something culturally was going on. This phrase describes the act of tucking a long robe into a belt. When when a soldier would go to battle, now here's what you need to be thinking. They they would have like what we call long skirts. They didn't have pants. They didn't have, you know, that kind of thing. They had a long skirt. To prepare them for battle where they could take a position of defense, where they could go on the offensive, they literally had to take that skirt and tuck it into their belt to be unencumbered. And it was essential. That, matter of fact, if you saw a soldier who did that, that means he was getting ready to go to battle, okay? And so that's the context of what he's saying. So look at, look at it again. Therefore, gird up the loins of what? Your mind. Prepare for something. Get ready. Now, the battle described in the Bible that Christians face is one where a person holds their ground, how many of you noticed that? In Scripture, it's never a battle, especially when it comes to spiritual things. It's never a, a battle to go on the offensive. It's always a battle to hold your ground, to hold your ground, to, to be steadfast, to, to be resolute. Peter applies this expression to our thinking. In, uh, in other words, hold on ground to, to your thought life. Now, what's he talking about? What are we to hold on to? Look at verse 13 again. I don't know why my voice sounds like it's changing this morning. How many of you have noticed that? It sounds like a 13-year-old trying to talk. But anyway, no offense to you 13-year-olds. But anyway, I noticed it in the last service. I'm like, what is my voice doing? Okay. Therefore, is always a reference or always there to tell you to look back at something. What have we been discussing for the last several weeks? We've been discussing some pretty powerful things. Peter is writing to an audience of those who are going through great trial and persecution, and he's saying, keep the focus of your mind on the things that we've just shared. The fact that you were chosen by God, that you have an eternal inheritance, that you have a glorious future, that your hope is in the promises of God, not in the circumstances of your current reality that you find yourself in. You look beyond this and look to those things. And then... In the midst of your trial, be resolute in your thinking, holding to the promises of God. So look on your outline. How do we look beyond our troubled realities and look to hope? It involves a new focus, like we've already said, by way of actions. Not only by way of your mind, where you're resolute in your mind. It means you're determined to think on uh, the things that that even uh, Paul was talking about in Philippians. But he's talking about be steady in your actions. Now, what does that mean? I think it means this. Keep your godly testimony intact. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you have maybe caught yourself in a situation where you knew the people around you knew that you were a believer in Christ, you've accepted Christ, and they knew you were a Christian, and yet you blew it with some of your actions? You ever been there? Yeah, I think we all have. Uh, We all are imperfect. But what are you saying? you saying be steady when it comes to your, your testimony. Look at what he says in verse 13. Therefore, referring back to all those wonderful things, gird up the loins of your mind. That means put it in its proper perspective. And then he says be sober. When he says be sober, that's more of a talk of actions. It's more of a talk the way you conduct yourselves. So when he says be sober, he means to be steady, to be under control. And he also means to not be easily swayed. Now, To not be sober means this. We can be resting in the promises of God one moment, then the next moment something hits our lives and we find ourselves in the worst way. We find ourselves just totally falling apart. How many of you that describes maybe a, a scene in your own life? where you're going along real well and you, you trust us firmly in God and you believe in the uh, eternal promises of God and you're, you're holding on to the fact you have a glorious salvation and everything in God's great and I can rest in Him and you're reading God's Word, it's just beautiful to you. And then you get some news and you just fall to pieces, fall apart. What Peter is saying, he's saying, hey, y'all, when you live your life as a Christian, people begin to Watch. How many of you have noticed that? You, 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 let, you identify the fact that you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're a believer in Christ. I guarantee you the world takes note. The people you're in school with, the people at work, to wherever you find yourself, they start taking note because they have expectations of what they think it should look like. So all of a sudden we're going along and we begin to fall apart. Our hope then fades and worry and fear begin to set in. Let me tell you this. Peter addresses that also. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5, just a couple pages. We're going to come to these verses later on. But I want to read to you a couple of verses here that will help put perspective to what some of you may be dealing with or what's going on in your life. Look at verse 6 of chapter 5. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. When it says to humble yourself under that, it's talking about no matter where you are in life, no matter what kind of news this hits your life, no matter what season you're in, no matter if you're going through persecution or not or trials or not, he's saying submit yourself unto him. And verse 7 tells you how to do it. Cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. How many of you ever gone through something so difficult that caused you to think, God, do you even care? God, do you even care what I'm going through? I, I mean, sometimes I wonder if you even know what's going on in my life and you, you tell me to trust you, you tell me to put my faith in you. And, and, and I, as far as I know, it's, it's there. But God, I, I'm struggling. How many of you sometimes you just need to be reminded that God cares? Well, he does. We see it right here so clearly. But then it goes on and it says this. In verse eight, here's that phrase again. Be sober. Be vigilant. That means be steadfast. Be, be resolute. That means be determined because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Let me just say this. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's not only a target that's on you because everybody's watching you in the world, but the enemy has marked you too. And he wants to bring fear into your life. He wants to come after you with everything that he's got. And, and he, he begins to bring that fear. But what does he say? He says, be sober, be vigilant because you're ever sorry the devil. He walks about like a roaring lion sinking whom he may, he may devour. Now think of this, y'all. As long as a lion is roaring, roaring, what does that imply? That he's not eating or biting. I'd much rather hear a lion roar then bite. How many of you are in that situation? Now, here's what we learn about the animal kingdom. You go to Discovery Channel. You can't trust everything on Discovery Channel, but you can trust a lot of stuff. You go to Discovery Channel, and you begin to look, and here's what you'll find out about a lion. Do you know the lion really doesn't do the hunting? The lionesses do. But the lion, being the male that he is, he's just kind of sitting around. He wants to have a part in all this, just say he did something. You know how males are. But anyway, he, he, he's there, and as he begins to roar, guess what his intention is there to that prey? To run that prey into trouble. To run that prey into something that can become destructive. Because here's what happens. The prey hears the roar and fear begins to grip their heart. Y'all, that's what happens when we get into trials. When we get into persecution. We get, When we get into things that are just tough to deal with. All of a sudden, it's not enough that we're dealing with the world and we're dealing with our issues. All of a sudden, the enemy comes in, and his, 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 his whole goal is to bury you under these things. Whereas when we look back at what Peter wrote earlier, that's not God's intention. God's intention when trial comes into your life is, is to make you more like him, like we're getting ready to see, to, 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 for him to refine you. But the enemy uses the opportunity to come after you. And then it says in verse 9, he says, he says Resist him steadfast in the faith. That means hold your ground, be vigilant, be sober, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. That means you're not alone, alone, alone in all your suffering. That goes back to what we saw on the screen and what Gary was trying to communicate. We do need each other. Listen, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me is I got, became a part of this church 25 years ago. I walked in here, and people were being transparent. People were being real. They were saying, you know something? Life really is tough at times. And I was able to connect with a group of people 25 years ago, and God began to do a great work in my life because I saw other people were going through some of the exact same things I was going through. They were opening themselves up. I opened myself up, and as a result... We, perform, we, uh, we had a bond that allowed us to be victorious. And y'all, we do need each other. So when you read, turn back to 1 Peter chapter 1. So when we lose proper focus, when fear begins to grip us, when, when trials come our way, we are instructed to be sober, to be steady no matter what we face. This past week, we, we took a look back to 9-11 And I think most of us, maybe not most of us, a lot of us remember that day very well. And and, and I don't know about you, but I mean, even 13 years later, when I look at the images of 9-11, I'm still horrified by them. Aren't you? I mean, it doesn't matter how many times I see it. I remember there was one scene. After the buildings had fallen, the Pentagon had been hit. The plane went down in Pennsylvania. And I remember several days later, our president shows up, and is there uh, 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 there where the Twin Towers once stood. And, and he, he walks up and he has the police, uh, the fire chief, one of the fire chiefs with him. And he's standing there. And you remember the scene? He's got his arm around the guy. And, and he basically challenges us as Americans. Do you remember? To be resolute. He, he challenges us to be vigilant. He challenged us not to fear. Do, do you remember all that? Y'all, the same thing needs to be said of us who are going through some horrifying things in our own life. We just need to to hold firm, be resolute. We need to have our resolve. Next, how do we look beyond our troubled realities and look to hope? It involves a new focus by way of expectations. You see that word rest, or, or we're getting ready to read a verse that has the word rest in it. But before we look at that, I want you to understand the word expectation literally means to look forward. It literally means to look beyond. So look at verse 13. He says, therefore, in light of all these wonderful things that God has done on your behalf that awaits you, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace of God. Hope fully. Put your complete trust in him. But really the key word in this phrase is rest. It implies a setting of security and trust. It, it, it's it's that whole idea of taking a nap. How, how many of you, how many of you can tell I'm ready to take a nap? This second time I've mentioned it. But how many of you, this is good nap weather. Looking forward to kind of chilling this afternoon. Some of you, bless your hearts, so are garden web students. You got papers. It's hard to bring it up. I'm really sorry. But anyway, but 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 how many of you kind of look forward to getting a little rest this afternoon? Now I don't know about you, but my nap. I mean, I, I'm going to choose either the couch or the bedroom, wherever Tina tells me I can go and, and watch what I want to watch. But anyway, but anyway, uh, there's going to be one of those two. But it'll be a safe place. It will be a secure place. And I'm just going to just whew, fully trust in the moment. But you know something? I can't imagine that I ever would take a nap on the edge of a cliff. How many of you have ever been on the edge of a cliff? I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm kind of scared of heights. It's, I'm, I'm crazy. I'll, do, I'll bungee jump in a second, but heights terrify me. I don't get it. Anyway, but, but I can't imagine me right here on the edge of a cliff that falls a 1,000 feet down. I can't imagine me laying right there beside it and just saying, whew, good to take a load off. Man, it's such a secure place. No, I can't imagine it. The rest that we see here in this verse is not talking about resting on the edge of a cliff. It's talking about being securely and firmly taken care of. It's security, it's trust. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. I'll give you a place of security. I'll give you a place where you can rest. We can find rest even in the midst of our trials through our expectations, Next, how do we look beyond our troubled realities and look to hope? It also involves a new future, a new future. Look at verse 13 again. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest, uh, rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, the terminology used in this verse or in scripture implies, anytime it refers to this whole setting of what we just read, an uh, unfolding plan that continues to be revealed and will one day be fully revealed. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about this hope that we have. Our hope, listen, looks not only back, but also looks forward. It looks back to the guarantees of the, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it also looks forward to the second coming of Christ. Wouldn't it be cool to be living in the days that Jesus came back. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, can you imagine being right in the middle of a trial, right in the middle of a very difficult situation? Can you imagine those in Syria and northern Iraq who are threatened with their own life? I mean, Christians around the world, and you're awaiting, and of course the big thing in the news today is the beheadings and all that stuff, and you're awaiting that possible sentencing, and then all of a sudden they're going to execute you, and all of a sudden just before it happens, you look and the skies open up, And guess who's coming? Jesus. As wonderful as that looks, did you know that we can have that same imagery when we're going through our trial? Just knowing that there's a promise that he is coming back. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be the next day. But when he comes, he's going to set it all straight. No matter what we're going through. See, living beyond the emptiness uh, of trials and, and the emptiness there of our present reality, third, secondly, also means living a life of holiness. Now think of this. Hope motivates us to live for eternity, while holiness guides us on how to live for eternity. God only has one intended destiny for mankind. He, listen, if you're, I think I said this last week, but if you are to say, okay, what is God's goal for my life? It's for you to be holy. And I can prove it through what we're getting ready to read. No, it's not centered around your happiness. It's centered around his holiness. Now, holiness, the word holiness, literally means to be set apart. But in scripture, when, it's, when the whole idea of being set apart, it, 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 it implies two things. To be set apart from something and then be, be set apart for something. Now look on the outline. First of all, we are to be set uh, set apart from evil desires, from the evil that's there. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you can agree that there can be evil in you at times? Yeah. I mean, that, that defined who we were before Christ. But guess what? It still creeps in at times. Look at verse 14. It says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. That means you've been saved from all that. You Don't, don't go that way. You, you, when it revisits you, put it down. Be obedient to Christ. And so we see that we're being set apart. Look, as obedient children, it implies that any commitment to Christ that does not result in obedience is a misunderstanding of the gospel message and is not Christian faith. So when it says not conforming yourselves to former lust, the Greek phrase there of not conforming literally means to pattern one's life. Don't pattern your life to the world. Don't pattern your life the way your life used to be. You're in Christ now. Matter of fact, if you're still patterning your life after the world, that's your lifestyle, it probably is revealing a whole lot about you that you're not really a child of God. You see, God expects us to act and think differently than the world. It doesn't mean that we're never going to mess up. We mess up. We do. But we don't pattern our life. We don't don't desire with everything that we have to live that life of being messed up. Next. We are not only set apart from evil evil desires, but also set apart for God. For God. Now, sanctification is the process of being set apart. Okay? So, So here's what we need to understand. When we came to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says this, that God looked down upon us when we accepted Christ and his provision of salvation. We repented and turned our life over to him. Guess what? He sees us as being holy. That's how he sees us. Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, when he was on the cross, here's what you need to understand. When he was on the cross, God saw something that was defiled, something that was sinful. You know why? Because our sin was placed on Jesus Christ. And so when he looked down from heaven and saw Jesus on the, cross, uh, on the cross, our sin and the fact that we were defiled was right there upon him. Now, as he sees us now, because we're in Christ, guess what? He sees us as righteous. He sees us as undefiled. He sees us as holy. It's our position because of Christ. But guess what? How many of us have a long ways to go for that to be a reality in our lives? It's a process. Did you know going through trials can help with the process? Did you know that there's times in my life where I'm I think I'm more assured of myself than I am in who I am in Christ? And did you know sometimes I've got to go through things, go through certain things to get me back to the proper mindset that I need to have in my relationship with God? How many of you can identify with that? Oh yeah. And so we've been set apart from something. To something, how does this happen? How does it go about? So look on your outline set apart for God by way of your conduct. Our conduct reveals what we are set apart to either evil desires or God's purposes. Look at verse 15. It says, Because it is written, I'm sorry, verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. And how does he describe it? In your conduct. Let let what plays out of your life, let that be a, a reference to the point that you've chosen to be holy as God is holy. So when it says in all you do, it refers to your lifestyle. Don't live the way you live before Christ. You are holy, set apart for the purposes of God. Look on your outline. We are set apart for God, not also by way of his nature. It's not only in our conduct, but by way of his nature. Listen, when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, God's greatest goal for us is that we become more like Him. And that's clearly in verse 16. Look here. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. God's saying this. So, one of the greatest attributes of God is that He is holy, He's pure, He's undefiled. And He wants us to be the same. So, as I said before, our position before God is that we are holy because of what Christ did. But guess what? We we realize we still got long ways to go. So we're in this process of becoming holy, becoming more like his son. And that whole idea of trials refines us into that. Thirdly, look on your outline. Living beyond the emptiness and trials of our present reality lastly means living a life of reverent fear. Hold your place here in 1 Peter. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. This will be the last place I'll have you turn. As you turn, listen to this. Psalms 111.10 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's repeated one time in Psalms, and I think two to three times more in Proverbs. So so the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The word fear there carries the idea of awe and respect. It's just you have a respect for who he is. There's a healthy fear associated there. I don't know about you, but I, I hope that you had fathers maybe even mothers that you had a healthy respect for. Maybe your father was someone that you couldn't just kind of push around. He was someone who who provided the stability in your life. He was a disciplinarian. He was someone that says, no, you're not gonna get away with that. Guess what? That's the same way our father is who is in heaven. So, So look on your outline, God's corrective plan. God is merciful and forgiving, but he is also a loving disciplinarian who cannot permit his children to enjoy sin. So look at Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 7. It says, If you endure chastening or or discipline, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more be readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chasten us, this is our earthly fathers, as seemed best to them. But he, God, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. So what is the whole purpose of discipline from God? What's this whole purpose working out in us? Our holiness, our holiness. Keep keep looking. Verse eleven. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the uh, now. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, or those who have been dis- disciplined by it. So it's there to produce a healthy ending to a situation. So look at First Peter chapter one again. 1 Peter chapter 1 again. Now, as you turn back there, listen to this. God will give us many gifts and privileges as we grow into Christian faith. Listen, but he will never give us the privilege to disobey in sin. And think of this. He never, God never pampers, spoils, or makes excuses for his children who live in sin. Let me just say this. I I know many well-meaning parents who sometimes make excuses For why their kid is a certain way when it comes to evil there. Or they they all constantly make excuses. Did you know our our Heavenly Father doesn't do that? He lovingly disciplines us. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't spoil us. At times I hear people say, oh yeah, God's been so good to me. He's just spoiling me all over the place. He doesn't spoil us. He gives us exactly what we need when we need it. But He's not one of those fathers. Look at verse 17. And if you call on the Father who is without partiality, judges according to each one's words, conduct yourselves throughout the time your stay here in fear. That means to have a healthy respect, a healthy fear for God because he does have a corrective plan in your life that he's working out. He does bring discipline. I remember how many of you have traveled to other countries before and as you get off the plane, the stewardess or the captain, maybe comes to the door and he says, I hope you enjoy your stay here. How many of you have ever heard that before? It's pretty cool because it implies you're not from here. It implies that you came to visit and hope you have a good stay. It's the same terminology Peter's using here. You remember how you began the letter? To the pilgrims, to the sojourners, to, to those who are, who, who are really not a part of this world. But those who are looking beyond this reality. You see, we ought to cultivate an attitude of godly fear. This is not the cringing fear of a slave before a master, but the loving reverence as a child before his father. Next, living a life of reverent fear also includes God's redemptive plan. Think of this, and this is a great quote. I think Warren Wiersbe said this. We should fear living as though we take Jesus' sacrifice for granted. Listen to it again. We should fear living as though we take Jesus' sacrifice for granted. We should fear that. Can you imagine taking something for granted that was the greatest thing that ever happened to you? The fact that Jesus came to die for your sin, that you could be fully restored to a loving Father, and the fact that you could spend eternity with Him. And for us to live flippantly... To, to try to excuse our sin or try to rationalize our sin, our sin is taking his sacrifice for granted. So, so look there on your outline. God's redemptive plan, not by way of man's tradition. Sometimes man attempts to bypass the redemptive plan of God with meaningless traditions. Look at verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your father's. He's saying that there's a redemption that is far greater than anything a man can can think of. The verse speaks of the emptiness of religion and its traditions. It also is a reference to the futility of life without an eternal perspective. Now, think about Peter's audience that he's writing to, persecuted believers who could die at any minute minute because of their faith. He was basically telling them that they were living for something and could possibly die for something that was more valuable than anything man or this world could offer them. And then he points to what it is. Look at what he says in verse uh, 18. Look at what it says. He says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. Through your aimless, from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. So look on your outline. God's redemptive plan, not by way of man's tradition, but by way of God's perfection. And the first thing you see there is the flawless sacrifice. In verse 18, redeemed, anytime you look at scripture in, in the context of what true redemption is, it literally means a slave who had been purchased and set free. Peter reminds us of the price of the purchase price, and it is the blood of Christ. Of course, we know that precious, of course, means something of incredible value, the blood of Christ, the flawless sacrifice. Now, let me just say this. I believe the greatest commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. So the best commentary on verse 19, let me read verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb, without blemish and without spot, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look here on the screen. Here's the commentary of that verse. He, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's all because of that price he paid for us. Next, God's perfection. It's not only a flawless sacrifice, but a foreknown plan. You see, Peter makes it clear that Christ's death was an appointment, not an accident. It was orchestrated before the foundation of the world, before man was created. So look at verse 20. He indeed was ordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in the last times for you. Now think of this. From, human, from the human perspective, Jesus was murdered 2,000 years ago. However, from God's perspective, he laid down his life on our behalf. So what's the difference? Well, he wasn't murdered. He gave his life. Willingly, Next, God's perfection. It fashioned hope, faith, and hope. God the Father did not, act, did not react to the fall of humanity with a last-minute fix. Before the fall, He had a plan to send His Son, a plan that would give us a faith and a hope that is guaranteed by way of the resurrection. Look at verse 21. Who through Him believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that, here it is, your faith and hope are in God. Here's what you need to understand. Therefore, no matter what we face in this life, God has fashioned for us a faith and a hope that is found in him and not in this world. You see, the problem with many of us is we're trying to find reassurance and security in this world. It does not last. It doesn't last. It's only found in him and his promises. Look at the application as we close. Do you live your life as Peter described here in this passage not focused on the emptiness and trials of this life, but on the reality of of eternity that can only be realized when we live a life of hope and holiness in the context of honoring God through our lives. What does your life look like this morning? Would you stand to your feet, please? Father, we just come to you right now. We just thank you for your word and thank you for the challenge this morning. And Lord, I know that there are several in this room that are probably or many in this room who are dealing with some trials themselves. And Father, I just pray for them right now. I thank you that your word is not flipping about our what we go through or what we're dealing with. But Father, your word says that you care. And Father, I just pray that somehow we'll realize that, that you do care for us. But Father, help us also realize in light of what we're going through, there's so much more for us that awaits us beyond this reality. Father, I pray for that one that's just dealing with the circumstances of life, the the consequences possibly even that they're dealing with. But Father, help them to realize that there's a purpose behind not only the the conditions we find ourselves in, but even the consequences that we find ourselves in. Father, you're just moving us to a greater relationship with you. The fact that you've set us apart from evil desires for something, and that something is in you. And Father, we thank you for that. Lord, if there's someone here today who doesn't know you as our Lord and Savior, I pray today be the day to give the heart to you. We thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Getting ready to give a hymn of invitation, and we'll be here at the front.